Well, hello. I'm Eliza Jones, and people have been telling me that I should turn my wildly detailed dreams into short stories for as long as I can remember. Just for fun, I like to interpret my dreams, and some of the results are weirdly accurate, outrageous, or funny. With my tongue firmly in cheek, I'll share these dreams and interpretations with you, along with superstitions, astrology, and other paranormal things. Welcome to Wouldn't Dream of It. I call this week's dream Family in a Box. I had this one a few weeks ago, and it had some wonderfully weird happenings. Let's jump right in. I was working in a grungy place that reminded me of a bar where I used to work. It wasn't dirty per se, but everything was old and badly in need of an upgrade. The smell of old cigarette smoke and spilled beer permeated the place, and it was desperately in need of a deep cleaning. Apparently, there was a kid and doggy daycare in the same building where I worked, so I went there to pick up my kids and my dogs. While there, I asked the care staff if they ever felt extremely motivated, maybe even with a really fun song stuck in their heads. They could relate, and I told them that's how I was feeling that evening. I shared with them that I was taking my kids and dogs back to the now-closed bar with me to deep-clean the beer cooler, sinks, and floors behind the bar. The care staff warned me that when the boss leaves for the evening, the doors will be locked with deadbolts that require keys on each side, so I should make sure not to lose track of the time. Thinking that I had plenty of time before the boss would leave, I set about emptying the beer cooler so that I could clean out the old beer and broken glass from the bottom where bartenders had left broken bottles. Cleaning and restocking the beer cooler was backbreaking work, but I was still feeling pumped up with songs like Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go and Walk It On Sunshine running energetically through my head. Using a powdered cleaner made especially for bar sinks, but that I suspected was just a lemon-scented baking soda, I scrubbed out all of the sinks. The worst yet most satisfying part was snaking the little brush down the drain to remove mildew and whatever else ended up in the drains of bar sinks. Still riding high on my internal playlist, I gave the floors behind the bar an extra thorough sweeping, finding bottle caps, bits of broken glass, the occasional piece of wayward lemon or lime, and a few random pills. Nothing unexpected here. Sweeping finished, I began mopping with a bleachy floor cleaner that was supposedly spring blossom scented. As I tried to go outside and empty my mop bucket into the special tank, I realized that the back door was locked. I parked the mop bucket beside the back door and checked the time. Midnight, I exclaimed. Hopeful that the boss stayed at work later than midnight, I went back into the main bar area where my kids and dogs were anxiously awaiting a finish to this crazed cleaning episode. To make leaving quicker, I put my kids and dogs into a car. We're still indoors, mind you, but there was a dark green 1970-ish Volkswagen Beetle right there with us. I picked up the car, which was now the size of a medium shipping box, and we headed for the exit. When we arrived, we were, you guessed it, locked in. I looked around for the boss, but he was nowhere to be found, and his keys were gone from the little wooden tray on his desk where he kept them. We were undeniably locked in for the night. I thought, it'll be fine. We'll just spend the night here. We have drinks, food, and restrooms available. I just need to find a suitable place for us to settle in for the night. 
Heading away from the exit, kids and dogs in the car tucked against my side like a load of school books, I set off to explore the less familiar parts of the expansive building. I found a cozy, unused office for us to use as our overnight shelter. I told the kids they could exit the car and let the dogs out as I moved to close the unexpected back office door. From the shadows outside the back door, a man slowly emerged, his face blurry but menacing. The pale light from the office glinted off of the butcher knife, which he held over his shoulder, ready to stab us. Thankfully, the kids and dogs were still in the car, so I picked it up again and ran through the front door of the office to escape from the knife man. Stopping to catch my breath, I found myself in an area that looked like a parking lot, and I thought I had found my way out of the building. Unfortunately, it took a moment for me to realize that the cars were just cardboard cutouts hanging from almost invisible wires. I assumed that this was a set, perhaps for a car commercial. I dashed behind a two-dimensional car to rest for a moment. I realized then that Knife Man might not have noticed the car with my precious family inside. To hopefully make what I was carrying less interesting to Knife Man, I began looking for something with which I could cover them. Moving carefully around the set, I found a sturdy box into which I could place the car with my kids and dogs inside. As I finished placing the car inside the box, I spoke to my kids through a crack between the flaps of the box. Are you all right in there? Can you breathe? In unison, my kids answered, yes. So I let the flaps fall into place. Just then, I heard the knife man begin sneaking around the fake parking lot where we were hiding. Grabbing the box that now contained the car with the kids and dogs inside, I ran away as quietly as possible. Bursting through an unfamiliar door, I found myself in a place that looked like the outdoors in daylight with homes and cars. I noticed that the people on the street were moving from one mark to another, clearly rehearsing. I came to the painful conclusion that this was another set, and I briefly wondered if these people had been back here shooting every evening as I worked in the bar. Maybe someone here could tell me how to get outside. A kindly older man noticed my distress and invited me into his house. Once through the door, I saw the two-by-fours that created a frame holding the house facade in place. It wasn't the best hiding place, but I instinctively trusted this kindly salt-and-pepper-haired man. His face crinkled around his warm brown eyes as he smiled and said, You're safe now. I took the car out of the box and the kids and dogs out of the car and introduced them to the kind man. Once I explained our situation with being locked in and pursued by Knife Man, he agreed to shelter us until the boss unlocked the doors in the morning. It wasn't long before we heard a commotion on the street outside. The knife man had found his way onto the movie set and was recklessly knocking over people and facades in search of us. Hoping to resolve our situation peacefully, the con man left his facade house to speak with the knife man. Unfortunately, knife man brought his knife down in a murderous arc and stabbed the con man. When arterial spray followed as knife man lifted his arm for a second swing, I knew it was too late to save our would-be protector. As quickly as possible, I put the kids and the dogs back into the car and the car back into the box so that I could run for our lives once again. Settling the box with my family inside back onto my hip, I took the back way out of the con man's house, racing through a kitchen that previously did not exist and out a back door. 
The back door led to the entrance of a cave in which I worked as a tour guide when I was a teenager. As the cool cave air and the scent of water and living stone began to jostle my memory, I felt sure that I could remember how to navigate the cave without the lights. This would be an advantage since the knife man was unlikely to expect us to take shelter in total cave darkness. As I left the light and entered the cave with my family in a box, the dream ended. I like to interpret my dreams using multiple resources, especially when they are this weird. My primary dream interpretation references will always be the Dream Dictionary app by CB Apps and Zolar's Encyclopedia and Dictionary of Dreams. Please check the show notes for detailed resource information. There was no direct reference, of course, in any of my sources for putting my family into a car and the car into a box, but apparently my mind was envisioning what I consider an adequate level of protection. Protecting children in a dream may also mean that a curiosity will be appeased. Hmm, that actually makes me curious about what curiosity is going to be appeased, which starts an endless loop of curiosity. I think I'm going to break my brain. Dreaming that my adult children were little again speaks of me wanting to feel necessary to them. I'm feeling pretty necessary right now, but I know that will fade with time. Attention kids, finish listening to my podcast and then call me. (laughs) Dreaming of dogs is usually positive. A common interpretation of seeing a dog in a dream suggests that if your values and intentions are strong, you'll be able to find success. Well, let's hope the success applies to this podcast. Zolar had pages of dream symbolism for dogs. Our canine friends definitely get their rightful amount of credit in dreams. Dreaming of my own dog foretells a friend doing a favor for me. Hey, um, whichever friend that is, please see the show notes where I've linked my Etsy favorites list. Interpreting a dream of murder is fairly tricky. On the one hand, dreaming of someone else as the murderer predicts that I'll have a long life, but dreaming of witnessing a murder means that I'll be sad because of someone else's actions. What? I'm going to live a long life of sorrow because of someone else's bad behavior? What about my friend who's supposed to do me a favor? Forget the Etsy list. Maybe my friend can take out the nemesis whose actions will cause me sorrow. Here comes more bad news because a dream of running away from others means that I'll be sad and disappointed. I thought this was a cool dream, but its meaning is somewhat disappointing. Knife Man was wielding a butcher knife, which symbolizes aggression for staying alive. That's the truth. If I see Knife Man in another dream, he's going to find out what it's like to deal with a formidable woman. By the way, thanks Nick for helping me see that I'm formidable. Okay, finally, finally, I learned that if a woman dreams of a man she doesn't know, she will be abundantly wealthy, and a dream of entering a cave with my family indicates plentiful assets. Now that's more like it. Bring on the abundant wealth and plentiful assets. Well, that's family in a box and the plethora of symbols and meanings it contained. What did you think? Visit us on Facebook at Wouldn't Dream of It or email us at wouldn'tdreamofit at gmail.com to talk about my dream or submit one of your own for interpretation on the show. That's wouldn't without the apostrophe. Wouldn't dream of it. Not a far cry from dream interpretation lies the world of superstitions and omens. 
Philippa Waring compiled an unparalleled collection in her book, A Dictionary of Omens and Superstitions. I will be using this book heavily as a resource, and you can check the show notes for more information about the book. What's your favorite drink in the morning? Everyone has a favorite. Coffee, tea, orange juice, chicory, it's, wait, chicory? Have you ever had a cup of chicory? Although it is said to have a similar flavor to coffee, it has no caffeine, which might disappoint some coffee lovers. Personally, I only love coffee because of the caffeine. I learned from Mary West's Medical News Today blog that chicory is used for a number of health benefits like keeping blood sugar under control and improving digestive health, but some people may have an allergic reaction to it. You may be asking yourself, why are we talking about chicory? Well, chicory actually has a robust history and superstition. Some people believe that the chicory plant can make its carrier invisible. It is also considered sort of a good luck charm. Do you think you'll be replacing your morning cuppa with chicory? Invisibility sounds kind of fun, but it could cause you to run afoul of your boss if you work in an office but can't be seen. As a remote employee, I can work naked, invisible, or naked and invisible, and literally no one will notice. Speaking of breakfast drinks, we can't have this conversation without talking about coffee. Some Americans believe that if the bubbles on the surface of the coffee float toward the drinker, then money is on its way, while if the bubbles float away, money will be lost. Maybe this is why some Americans drink so many cups in a day. If they keep trying, maybe they'll get the bubbles to float toward them. Personally, I'm a tea person. I'm also kind of a tea snob because I get annoyed at the phrase herbal tea. According to Britannica, tea is, quote, a beverage produced by steeping in freshly boiled water the young leaves and leaf buds of the tea plant Camellia sinensis, end quote. Another one that gets me is chai tea. TheFreeDictionary.com defines chai as a beverage made from spiced black tea, milk, and sugar or honey. So if you like to say chai tea, what you're actually saying is tea tea. Whether you're a tea snob or not, you may already know that tea has its place in a discussion of superstitions and omens. Reading tea leaves has been considered a way to tell the future for ages. This requires a certain amount of imagination, intuition, and either psychic ability or the ability to lie with a straight face. You decide. Some people believe that if a tea leaf floats on their tea, they will have a visitor soon. Less well-known is the superstition that bubbles on the surface of tea predict kisses for the drinker. Isn't that cute? Oh my god, it's like mistletoe in a cup. Stirring a pot with loose tea leaves is said to stir up trouble, but that's probably because everyone will be mad at you for the tea leaves in their cup. Leaving the top off the pot is a harbinger of bad luck. Yeah, bad luck in the form of cold tea. People of Northern England believe that if a woman allows a man to pour more than one cup of tea for her and then flirts with her, she won't be able to resist him. I wonder if this includes refilling your tea from an urn in a restaurant. That might explain some of the iffy decisions I've made in my lifetime. Hmm. Another English superstition has to do with the order in which a young woman adds milk and sugar to her tea. 
Apparently, if you ever wish to marry, you have to put your sugar into your tea before adding milk. In the modern world, never marrying isn't the curse it used to be. I say make your tea any way you like, including without milk. I'm not a fan of milk because of lactose intolerance, but to some cultures, milk is very important as a source of nutrients and as an omen. An Indian tradition claims that seeing milk when first waking up is a good omen. I think that's just because parents are trying to get their teenagers out of bed to milk the cow first thing in the morning. Many Europeans believe that spilling milk on the floor will draw a blight of fairies to the home. What can I spill to bring a nice leprechaun to my house, complete with a pot of gold that he'll gift to me? I'm going to have to do some research on that. If you dream of eating oranges, this may mean that some parts of your life need as much attention as others. I'm pretty sure that this doesn't apply to drinking juice that has been squeezed from the orange, but oranges are considered lucky as well. Giving an orange to another person may make them love you. If this means romantic love, I'm all set. But if it means friends and family love, maybe I should give out a few oranges. I don't know about you, but all this talk of breakfast beverages has me thinking about breakfast for dinner. I hope that's not bad luck. I guess it's bad luck if it takes this podcast down a rabbit hole. So before I get too distracted with thoughts of breakfast for dinner, let's talk a while about astrology and horoscopes. Have you ever noticed that those positive, vague horoscopes published everywhere never point out a fault or predict a bad day? We all have faults, right? Some days aren't good ones, especially Mondays. Hazel Dixon Cooper helps us see and laugh at the less positive characteristics of our sun signs in her book, Born on a Rotten Day. Joanna Martine Woolfolk literally wrote the book on astrology with her work, The Only Astrology Book You'll Ever Need. See my show notes for full details on these informative and entertaining books. Each week, I will have a little astrology corner where we explore the influence of the stars and take in-depth looks at each sign while the sun is in the corresponding sign. Even if you're not into astrology, I believe you'll have a few laughs and maybe point your finger at someone once or twice. Since we have a couple of weeks until the sun moves from Virgo into Libra, let's talk about the four elements, also known as triplicities, of astrology, which are fire, earth, air, and water. For each of the four elements, I will give the traditional characteristics found in Joanna Martine Wolfolk's book, followed by the rotten day take on the signs of that element. Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius are fire signs. People born under a fire sign are known to be active and enthusiastic, but some people may find them more selfish, egotistical, and demanding. Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn are earth signs. These folks are considered practical and stable. They also are hard-headed. Okay, so I'm an earth sign. Did my editor slash eldest child really have to say, yeah, no shit, when she read this? Anyway. Earth signs may be calculating, critical, and callous as well. Gemini, Libra, and Aquarius are air signs, which are believed to be intellectual and communicative. Air signs may also be fickle, glib, and long-winded. Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces are water signs. As the mother of two water signs, I'm a veritable wealth of information on water signs. While they are emotional and intuitive, They also are moody as well as self-destructive and manipulative. If you know me and you've ever wondered why I'm so weird, 
Now you know. Each sign has one of three qualities and one of two polarities. The elements, qualities, and polarities align differently for each sign, helping make each one unique, both in the good and the bad ways. The polarities, also known as dualities, are masculine and feminine, which have nothing to do with the sex or gender of the person born under the sign. Masculine signs include Aries, Gemini, Leo, Libra, Sagittarius, and Aquarius, and are considered outer-directed and strong through action. Then again, one might say that they are aggressors. Feminine signs include Taurus, Cancer, Virgo, Scorpio, Capricorn, and Pisces, and are thought to be self-contained and strong through inner reserves. Some might also see them as emotional manipulators. The final grouping of astrological signs is into qualities, also called quadruplicities. I can't believe I said that right. These include cardinal, fixed, and mutable. Cardinal signs are enterprising and outgoing. They are the initiators. More like a bossy, pot-stirring meddler. The cardinal signs are Aries, Cancer, Capricorn, and Libra. Fixed signs are resistant to change. They are perfectors and finishers rather than originators. The fixed signs are Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, and Aquarius. Another way of seeing this group is as stubborn, exasperating bores. The last quality is mutable, and this group is made up of Gemini, Virgo, Sagittarius, and Pisces. Traditionally known as flexible, versatile, and adaptable, the rotten truth is that these signs are inconsistent, self-delusional escapists. Taking myself for an example, I'm a Taurus. My sign is earth, feminine, and fixed. This means that on my best day, I may be stable with strength that comes from inner reserves and determined to finish and perfect things. On my worst day, I may be hard-headed, emotionally manipulative, and stubborn to the point of exasperation. On days in between, who knows? Ask my kids. <laughs> At the end of a show about strange things that people dream, believe, and think, I can't think of anything better than reporting on a fantastic news story. As a little girl pouring through books in my father's collection, I came across a photo taken by English physician Robert Wilson in 1934. That photo was of the Loch Ness Monster, and I was an instant believer. Dustin Jones of the NPR Newsletter's Strange News section reported that some Yahoo who was with Dr. Wilson when he took the photograph made a deathbed confession about the photo being fake. If it was fake, how do you explain sightings of the monster over 1,500 years? I know, people have been seeing Bigfoot and the Abominable Snowman for years and years, too. But for some reason, those legends never caught my attention like Nessie. Apparently, there are lots of people like me, as Jones also reported that researchers and monster hunters are gathering in the United Kingdom's Scottish Highlands to use new technology to observe, record, and study the natural behavior of the loch and phenomena that may be more challenging to explain. If you're an aspiring monster hunter like me, you'll be disappointed to know that this hunt for Nessie took place on August 26th and 27th, but take heart. If you Google Loch Ness Exploration, you'll find stories, including the NPR story that I just used as my resource, and livestream videos from the hunt. That's our show for the week. 
I hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to seeing you on Instagram, Facebook, and threads as Wouldn't Dream of It, and TikTok as at Wouldn't Dream of It Podcast. Remember, that's wouldn't without the apostrophe, wouldn't dream of it. Send your dreams to me at wouldn'tdreamofit at gmail.com, and you might hear me read and interpret your dreams on an upcoming show. Wouldn't Dream of It is created and written by me, Eliza Jones. Marketing and production by Lapis Hale. Editorial support by Leah Wade, Lapis Hale, and Nick Jones. Original music by Twisted. That's Twisted with a Y. Find them on Facebook as Twisted Twisted, both with a Y. T-W-Y-S-T-E-D. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tell all of your friends about this podcast. See you back here next week.